Good morning. It's so good to see you today. We're always one uh, glad that you're here with us on Sunday morning. If you're a guest today, we want you to know that you're welcome. We want you to invite you. Uh, want to invite you to come and be with us at every opportunity that you have. Our gospel meeting begins three weeks from today. It's hard to believe that we're already almost halfway through this year. We're about to begin the month of June in just a couple of weeks, and when we get finished with that month, we will be halfway through this year. But, you know, as we think about the beginning part of June and our gospel meeting, we, we think about souls, and obviously we want to do that on a, on a regular basis. We want to do it, you know, every day and every week, but uh, in particular when it comes to our gospel meeting. And so... We want to invite people to our gospel meeting. We, we have that as a special outreach for people uh, in the year. We want to invite people. But who do we want to invite? And I want you to think about that for a minute. Who do we want to invite to our gospel meeting? Well, we want to invite people. Well, who are the people? Well, the people are our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our schoolmates, our associates that we've met, you know, in different places throughout, you know, whether they're business associates or if they are people who, uh, uh, who we go to and, and we, uh, uh, we visit them, you know, maybe to have our hair cut or something like that. All of those folks that, that we know who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now tonight, as we, when we finish our uh, service here, we're going to be having some ice cream and we're going to be doing some cards. We have the cards here and, and we're going to be addressing those cards. And you know what? The only people I know to address those cards to are those people that you know, that I know. And what we need to do this afternoon, here is your assignment before you do your afternoon nap. Okay, we, we like to do that on Sunday afternoon, but before you do your afternoon nap, go home and make a list of people, of all of those that I have mentioned, you know, I counted them off on my fingers there, that you want to invite to our gospel meeting. Put their name down, look up their address, and bring that on a sheet of paper with you tonight. We're going to be giving them an invitation, personal invitation, we're going to be sending them a card. And we're going to have what we're calling ice cream and cards. Now, the emphasis is not on the ice cream. The emphasis is on the cards. The ice cream is just extra. But if you can bring a freezer of ice cream or you want to run by and just get a, a bucket of some kind of ice cream and bring that with you, then, then we hope that you'll do that. But, but we want to just spend some informal time. It's not just, you know, to see how formal we can make it getting some ice cream together, but an informal time together, writing cards, inviting people, and sharing a little bit of ice cream along the way as we reach out to others for our gospel meeting. So I hope that you'll plan to do that this afternoon following our, our evening worship at 5 o'clock. The title of our lesson today is, What Do Elders Do? A number of years ago, Brother Nick Hamilton wrote an article that was entitled by that uh, same title, What Do Elders Do? And what he did was listed a number of things, and I put those, you know, I, I couldn't just stretch them out. I, it's pretty small on the screen now, what you see, and I'm not going to take time to read it, but, but he just had a number of things listed that elders do. And what I want you to notice is down at the bottom, maybe you can see it fairly decently, the very last thing is, and a thousand and one other daily tasks. 
You know, when we think about elders and what they do, we could probably make a checklist and say, okay, they do this and they do this and they do this and they do this. But then we would probably leave off that one out of that other thousand and one and we would think that, well, once they've checked off all of those things that are on the screen plus that thousand, that, that well, maybe that other one doesn't make a difference. But probably it does. And so we're not going to make, uh, make a list of things uh, that elders do today, but we want to talk about that. We want to try to answer that question about what elders do. And I want you to think about the significance of this as we're studying it. Why does it make a difference? Well, I don't know of a better way to illustrate it than this, but, and I know it doesn't happen this way, but I want you to play along with me this morning. What if when you got to the gate of heaven, the Lord was standing there, and he says, before you can enter in, you have to answer one question. And if you get the question right, you get to enter. If you, if you don't get it right, you don't get to come in. But, but you've got to answer one question. And the question that I want you to answer is, what the elders do? What do elders do? And so you're standing there and you're trying to answer that question. And, and how in the world would you answer it? Now, why does it make a difference? Well, obviously you want to get into heaven, and that's not the whole point here, but it makes a difference because as you live a Christian life, as a part of the Lord's church, you need to know how to react to the elders. You need to know how to submit to them. You need to know what your relationship to the eldership is. And so obviously we need to know what elders do so that we can react to them in the right way. We can submit to them in the right way. But not only that, I suggest there's a second reason we need to know why elders or what elders do. And we need to be able to answer the question, and that is this. We need to hold elders accountable. We want to make sure that they're doing what God directs them to do. And so we need to be able to know what they are to do, what they're supposed to do according to what God says, so that we can indeed hold them accountable to doing the things that God has directed that these leaders of the church are to do. And so, what do they do? And if you, can, if you had to answer that question, would, would you get into heaven, you know, as you think about that? And so, as you look at it, we know that's not the case. We know that we don't have to answer that question before we get there, but we do have to answer it here. We do need to know here because it will affect whether we get there or not. It will affect whether we go to heaven or not. We need to know. The best way that I know how to answer the question, what do elders do, is to look at the terms by which they're identified in the New Testament. To look at the, the words that are used, and I'll go ahead and tell you right now as we begin to study, there are three basic terms that are used. Now, we may look at some this morning, some nouns, and we may look at some verbs. The nouns are the subjects of the sentence, the verbs, of course, of the action part, but they all describe. There are three basic words, three basic terms that describe the work of an elder that actually talk about what they do in the New Testament. So we want to spend just a little bit of time in dealing with those three things this morning, answering the terms or looking at the terms by which they are identified. Now, these leaders in the New Testament church, obviously, as we have already been saying this morning, are called elders. The title of our lesson is, What Do Elders Do? 
And so when we look at the term that's used in the Scripture, we see that term used a number of times. For example, in the book of Acts chapter 14, verse 23, And when they had appointed elders and, uh, uh, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had uh, believed. And you know, when you're looking at that passage in Acts chapter 14, you're looking at a passage where Paul is on a missionary journey and those who are traveling with him have established the churches and now they've gone back through and they've appointed elders in every church. But the term elders is used. In the, another passage of Scripture where the term elders is used is Acts chapter 20 at verse number 17. Now from Miletus, this is Paul again, from Miletus he sent and called the elders of the church to come to him. In Titus chapter 1, at verse number 5, the Bible says, this is why, talking to Titus, Ben read this for us this morning, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. James chapter 5 at verse 14, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then another one found in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse number 1. The Bible says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. All of these passages, along with some others in the New Testament, have that term that's translated elders that's used. Now when we're thinking about that term that's translated elders, we should understand that it's a word that we sometimes see and perhaps even see it on the face of denominational churches, some denominational churches. It's the word from which we get the word presbytery. Presbytery and presbytery, it comes from the word presbyteroi, but that is not important to us to be able to pronounce it or to, to see it, but just to understand it. And that's what we want to do. When we're thinking about that term as it is used, it is a term which can and does refer to, to age, the age of a person. It designates one who is older. Now the question becomes, how old do they have to be in order to be an elder? Well, let me just suggest to you this morning that that is a relative term. Now think about what is said in the book of Luke chapter 15. There was a man who had two sons. One of the sons is called a younger son in the text. We know him as the prodigal son. This son wanted what his daddy had so that uh, he would have his inheritance. He'd go out and be able to, uh, to live his life like he wanted to live. He blew it all, and then he came home. And when he got home, daddy met him. He was welcomed him home. He prepared a, a, a big feast for him. His brother had been out in the field. But how does the Bible identify the brother? The older, elder brother. The presbyteroi brother. Question this morning, how old was he? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It is a relative term. One who is older, the age, is indeed important. You know, if we, if we had a congregation of people who had uh, made up only a 15-year-old and one 16-year-old, and he happened to be a boy, he could... Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying he could serve as an elder in the Lord's church. He would still be elder to the other 15 years older than. Not serving as an elder in the Lord's church. He would still be presbyteral. He'd still be older. Understand simply, it's, it's a relative term. I had a lady call me the other day who was very concerned. She evidently was a member of a denominational church. She'd been reading house to house, heart to heart. She said, I've come to understand a lot of the things that we've been teaching in our church not right. And I've tried, I've confronted an older lady. One of the things that she was really concerned about is they were, her pastor was about to appoint an elder in the church who was 30 years old. Now, he had some other problems. He wasn't married. He had a, an illegitimate child on the way. There were a lot of problems that were associated with it. But she was concerned because he was 30 years old. I think there's questions there. There's more questions in other places, but it has to do a lot with age. But I want you to understand this morning that word presbyteroi is not just about age. Not just about age. If you think about the background of, of what we're talking about when we're talking about elders, we could go back to the book of Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 through 17, and, and see how leaders were chosen and, and the characteristics that they had back in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 through 17, I'm not going to take time to read all of it, but... Basically, God tells Moses, when Moses complains, I can't handle it all. The work's too hard for me to be able to take care of all of it. we got these thousands and thousands and thousands, probably, you know, more closer to two to three million people, and I can't handle all the business. God tells him, says, choose out from among you 70 from the elders. That's talking about those who are older. And then he uses a very strange phrase, whom you know to be elders. Not just from the older people, but whom you know. They're acting in a different way. That's the implication that he makes. Now how are they acting? To understand that, we need to go to the book of Deuteronomy. Moses, near the end of his time with the children of Israel, he is reminding them of things that that had gone on in their sojourn in the wilderness. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, he mentions the fact that he had to have some help. These people were complainers. They had all kinds of things. And And he talks about that event in which they were to choose people. And here he tells them, Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men. And I will appoint them as your heads. You see from the group of older men that Moses knew to be elders. He's referring to those who had experience. Those who were men of... uh, of, uh, as he puts it there, wisdom and understanding and experience. The word elder not only refers to one's age, it also points towards one's 
experience. In the New Testament, though, when we're thinking about it, when we look at that word translated elder, it points toward the decision-making function of the leaders of the Lord's church. The decision-making function. Now let me just illustrate that from the text. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, at verse number 17, Paul writes Timothy, and he uses a term here. He said, Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Who rule well. Well, that word that's translated rule is used directly in the qualifications of an elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, the Bible says there he must, English Standard Translation, manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church. An elder needs to be able to make wise decisions. Have y'all ever heard that in a prayer? A lot of times when we pray for elders, one of the things that we pray for is, Lord, help them make wise decisions. I understand that is a very important part of the work of an elder, making decisions, but I still want you to understand perhaps that's not the most important or the greatest part. They make decisions about such things as what time do we meet. They make decisions about who will teach in Bible classes and what will be taught and those kinds of things. It's a very difficult task. We understand that. But a lot of the decisions are already made for them. Not because some eldership was before them, but because God already made the decisions in his book. But elders still manage. Elders still rule in that sense, referring to the decision-making function that they do. And so keep on praying for elders to make wise decisions, but understand that's not the only thing they do. Matter of fact, it may not even be the most important thing that they do. The word elder points toward the decision-making function, but the Bible also refers to these same men as bishops or overseers. Bishops or overseers. Look real quick at a few passages. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. He says, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And that's what uh, some of the same qualifications that Ben read to us from the book of Titus this morning. If you're reading from the King James Version, you may see that the word is translated bishop. If anyone desires the office of a bishop. There's another passage in Acts chapter 20 at verse number 28. The Bible says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Same word, just a verb form. Uh, well, no, that's the noun form there. But same word that's found in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 
3. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, he says. And so, again, we have that term used. It's even used of Jesus himself. The Bible says there, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer, of your souls, and that, of course, in that passage is talking to talking about Jesus. But but he uses a term that's used in regard to Jesus, in regard to the leaders of the Lord's church. And that term is a term that, uh, again, you might see on a uh, on a church building. It's the same word from which we get the word episcopal or episcopos. It's episcopoi is the actual word, and it means something like superintendent. It means guardian. It means bishop. It means overseer. When we think about this particular term, it's a word that speaks to the administrative function of church leaders. The administrative function of church leaders. When we think about these men who are identified bishops, overseers, we need to think about their work, and it can be fairly well summed up in about five words. These men visualize, they organize, they deputize, they supervise, and they analyze. Now I'm not going to take time this morning to deal with every single one of them in great detail, but but think about they visualize. Where does this church need to go? Now the ultimate conclusion is heaven. They visualize how we're going to get there and they begin to organize people to to get not only the group but to get as many people in our community, many people that we can touch, not just here but throughout the world to get them to go to heaven. They deputize, that is, they enlist folks to be helpers. Now they have some special helpers. We'll talk about in two weeks what the deacons do. But they also expect every single one of us to be enlistees in the army of the Lord and serve our Lord. They supervise. They make sure that things are being done. They analyze. Did we meet the goals? What were the strengths? What were the weaknesses? How can we do it better? They do all of these things. Because in the administrative role, they have the duty to see that the things done by others are done right. To see that the things that are being carried out in the body of the work is done in the way that the Lord wants it done. And so they administer the program of the church. They supervise the program of the church. You know, if we had time this morning, we would talk about in a little bit more detail than we we will here, but folks sometimes need job descriptions. What do I do as a Christian? A lot of times we'll say, well, just read your Bible. Okay. How many of you have ever said statements to me or to somebody else? You know, when I read that, I just really didn't understand it until somebody helped me see it. I wonder if that's what the eunuch said when Philip finished preaching to him Jesus. Sometimes we need help in understanding things. So we need job description. I'm not saying we have to write down a list of things that Christians do and 
check them off again. We would probably miss something there, but folks need to know what they're supposed to be doing. There need to be some guidelines. And it's not hard necessarily to go to the Word of God, but the elders need to teach the younger generations, the younger Christians. In addition to that, they delegate tasks to others. And once they've done that, they supervise the delegated task. They supervise, if you will, the life of the individuals of the church. And as Christians, we gladly respond to their supervision. Because you know where they want us to go? They have visualized a congregation of God's people going to heaven. Taking as many people as they can with them. And they've thought about it. They've prayed about it. They've studied about it. And they're trying their best because of their wisdom, their understanding, their experience as elders, the decisions that they make. They're trying to help us administer the program to get us all there. That's what elders do. But not only that, very quickly this morning, these same men are called uh, shepherds, pastors. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, he gave some, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, there the Bible says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings uh, that is uh, uh, among you, exercising oversight, or, or rather shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Jesus is called the great shepherd, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse number 25. So we got the shepherd. Can't count on my hand the number of times I've been called a pastor. And sometimes we think, well, members of the church, they ought to know better than to call a preacher a pastor. Sometimes we get all messed up in our thinking because we still listen to our denominational friends. We got four pastors here. Not me. Hope to be one one day. I'd love to serve in that capacity. But right now we got four. Four men who shepherd the body, who shepherd the flock. It's the word in the original language, poimenus, and it means a shepherd. To some extent, when you're thinking about a shepherd who is shepherding the flock of God, it includes that decision-making function, it includes that administrative function, but... I want you to understand this morning that one is the one that emphasizes more the teaching, the counseling function of church leaders. The teaching and counseling function of church leaders. Again, Jesus is called the great shepherd. He's called the good shepherd in the book of John chapter 10. And if shepherds of the Lord's church, those men who are identified in this way, if they want to know what to do, they can learn from Jesus because He is the great shepherd. What does Jesus do? We'll look at a few things that you can see on your screen this morning. 
When we think about Jesus, according to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, Jesus calls his sheep by name. In other words, he knows them well enough. That's uh, one of the other things that he, that he mentions there down in verse number 14. But, but he calls them by name. He has a personal, caring relationship with his sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. He leads them, not drives them, but he leads them. Look at verse 11 of, of uh, John chapter 10. He would lay down his life. When a, shepherd, when, a, when a wolf or something like that comes in, he protects them. He'd lay down his life for them. He knows them, verse 14. We could go on back to Luke chapter 10, uh, 15, verse 4. When one goes astray, a shepherd would go after that one. That's what shepherds do. It's based on the relationship, the teaching, counseling. You know, I want to be here as a, as a preacher of the gospel and having studied the Word of God, I want to be here to answer questions. I want to be here to help people through problems. I, I, I want to be involved in the life of people. But as Christians, we ought to be looking to our elders to help us get through the rough spots. To share with us when we have good times. To do all of these things. I'm afraid if we only look at elders as being those who make decisions, we put them in suits and we say, you know, these men stand out above us. We're, we never attain to what they do. But if they're with us, hurting with us, laughing with us. We build a relationship with them that works. You see, when we're talking about the term shepherd or pastor, we're talking about the teaching, the counseling relationship. We haven't had time to study the different aspects of, uh, of the qualifications, but one of the qualifications of an elder is to be able to teach. King James Version put it this way, they're apt, A-P-T, literally meaning able to teach. What does that mean, stand in a pulpit and preach? Well, perhaps, if necessary. But how do I handle the problem in my marriage? What happens when a child goes astray? I'm facing sickness, perhaps even a terminal illness. How do I deal with it? Because as a Christian, every one of those affects my life. They affect my relationship with my Lord. They affect whether or not sometimes I get to go to heaven. We need good elders, good bishops, good pastors, shepherds. Let me quickly, as we bring our lesson to a close this morning, make a couple of other observations and the lesson will be yours. We need to ask the question, are, are these three groups, these three different words, are they really the same? 
Same folks. Let me just bring to your attention a couple of passages of Scripture. Acts chapter 20 at verse 17, we've already noticed. Paul called the elders of the church to come to him. But if you look down to verse number 28, again, another passage that we've already spoken about this morning, we've already read this morning. Those elders that he called to them, he, he tells them to pay careful attention to do something, to be overseers, over the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And then he says, to care for. That's the word, some translations translate it to shepherd. And that's the word that's translated shepherd. And so all three of those words, all three of those terms are used in regard to the same men in the book of Acts chapter 20 at verse number 17. Same is true in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed and shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God. Elders, what do you do? You act as shepherds. Not only do you do that, but keep reading there, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising the oversight. So at least two times in the New Testament we have all three of these terms used of the same men identified as elders, as bishops, as overseers, as pastors, as so forth. And so when we're looking at them, indeed, they are all the same. Again, we have four here at Midway. These men do a, a very, very good job. But I want you to understand something last of all this morning. Again, we have, we have flown through. We didn't get those thousand and one things. But we have flown through just sort of a basic overview of things that elders do. I want you to understand that we need as Christians to make an effort to appreciate these men. Because they make an effort and it deserves our appreciation. One final passage found in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, read part of it a while ago. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of Double honor. What does he mean by that? Well, if you keep reading, he sort of lays, the, lays it out for us. Let them be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the Scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. They need to be looked up to. They need to be honored just because they work, but the double honor seems to refer to they may even need some financial compensation. Why? Well, they don't do anything but make decisions sitting in a boardroom every once in a while. Not if you understand elders, and not if elders carry out their job. You see, most of them, they have a full-time job, plus they spend many, 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 many more hours helping folks with life and with life eternal. The least we can do is show them some appreciation. What do elders do? A lot. 
A lot of things that God has laid out for them and for us. Again, we have this morning simply made a a, a brief overview by looking at some of the words that are used in regard to elders. And, And in looking at those things, we haven't listed specifics. But the thing about it is, God has in some ways generalized what elders do. And they learn, and they reach out, and they're continuing to learn, and they do better. How do we respond? What do we do? Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. The Lord invites you to be one. He sent His Son to die for you. Maybe you need to be baptized, have His Son's blood that He shed on the cross, wash your sins away. Maybe this morning there's something amiss in your life that you need to make right in a public way. If we can assist you in any way, come right now.